Welcome to another episode of the Peak Potential Success Show. My name is Fong Chua. I'm an entrepreneur, business strategist, real estate investor, speaker, and also a best-selling author. And every single day, I help others unlock the potentials and guide them to succeed. Today, I have another amazing guest. Uh, this individual, I'm very excited to have because every single time I see him, he's always networking. He's at business conferences. Um, he's, he's doing his thing. And it's always nice to chat with him because he's such an expert in his field and also very, very down to earth. Always has a great smile on his face. So I'm very excited to have him here. Um, the thing is, it's uh, what I admire most about him is that he puts himself into these scenarios and into these networking areas as a practicing doctor. And not a lot of doctors put themselves into these business conferences. So I really like how he likes to expand his mind and grow and look for different opportunities all over the place. Uh, he loves to focus on disease prevention, helping his clients get to a state of optimum health, well-being, and vitality. He is the detective of medicine. Why? Because he loves to find root cause of the problem so that he can help his clients find a unified, targeted, and effective solution to their problems. So please welcome the Sherlock Holmes of medicine, Dr. Andrew Greenland. Wow, what a welcome. Thank you very much. And thank you for having me on your show. Thank you. I'm very, very excited to hear uh, what you got to say. And um, also, thank you very much for your time. So for, for people out there right now, I know you have a lot of great uh, achievements and you've done a lot of great things in the field of medicine. What is your main focus right now? Uh, my main focus right now is functional medicine. And for those that don't know, functional medicine is a very holistic way of looking at people. So when you go to most doctors, they're really basically looking at your symptoms and giving you a white pill for your symptoms and sending you on your way. But I'm really about really understanding the whole person, understanding their symptoms, yes, but also understanding about their lifestyle their diet, what they're doing exercise-wise, what their stresses are, what their environment is, what the toxins they're exposed to, what other things that are bothering them psychologically. And I try and kind of put all these things together and work out a plan that tackles their problems in relation to their diet and lifestyle. So it's very comprehensive, it's very holistic, and it works because we're really tackling, as you said, at the root cause. And if you don't get to the root cause, then you're just literally throwing things at symptoms and they're never going to go away. And that's my that's my main focus. That's my main passion, because it works. And it's um, really taking people who have been stuck and spat out by conventional health systems and really helping them to move forward with their um, with their illness and make them feel better. Uh, so that's why you put yourself into these business conferences. You look at all these business people and entrepreneur and see what their lifestyles are like. <laughs> you know what? Funny because how you know what the problems are. <laughs> It's funny because the one thing they don't teach you in medical school is about business. And um, because I do this kind of work, it doesn't fall into mainstream medicine. So I've had to create a business out of it to make it work. So that's why I'm particularly interested in business and learning business and meeting other people in the business world to, to learn business and to make what I do work as a business and to, to make it work as a venture. But also to understand the people that do this kind of work. And, you know, entrepreneurs are not very good at looking after themselves. They work 24-7, you know, pretty much. They are on the go the whole time. They never switch off. They don't sleep enough. They're up early and they work to the early hours. They probably don't eat very well. Some of them don't exercise very well. And so that kind of lifestyle does bother me. And I'm you know, really keen to try and help make entrepreneurs healthier. So, so you, you talk the talk and you walk the walk. You're an entrepreneur, uh, you're a business person, but you also understand the, the health and the wellness side of everything. So share with us, what's, what's your diet like? And then also, what is your, your, rest, like your sleeping schedule like? Well, I'm really pleased to say I pretty much practice what I preach. I'm not perfect by any means. <laughs> and, you know, I'm an entrepreneur. I do silly things at times. Um, but I have a very healthy diet. I eat all organic. I eat a lot of um, veg I plenty of vegetables. 
Um, I'm not a vegetarian or vegan, but I do make sure that the quality of my protein is really high quality. So, you know, organic pasture fed meat where I can, lots of oily fish, lots of vegetables, plenty of hydration and trying to avoid processed food, junk food. Um, that's the staple of my diet, eating, try to have a regular meal times. I know it's difficult when we're in this world, we're kind of running and grabbing food on the hoof, but having some kind of regularity of life is really important. You know, your digestive system is on a clock of its own. It doesn't appreciate being fed at you know, 11 at night or four <laughs> in the morning. It actually likes to know when things are coming and it's, there is actually a little cycle and a rhythm into your gut. So eating regularly is really important as well. So that's pretty much what I do. It's fairly straightforward. I think it's probably stuff that most people know they don't necessarily enact. Mm -hmm. But I think it's hugely important because you need all of this stuff. You need quality food, vitamins, minerals, phytonutrients and hydration to function at the optimum level. And when it comes to your resting schedule? So I've just been, there actually been another conference recently learning a lot about sleep and I'm not. 100% on this myself but the ideal thing is to be in bed by about 10 o'clock I know it's something that most people would find quite difficult to do mm -hmm. with modern living but our circadian clock is designed for us to be in bed around 10 o'clock and waking up around six seven o'clock in the morning um, that's what we're programmed to do and you know we are based on we are designed to be asleep when it's dark and to wake up when it's light mm -hmm. you know the light bulb was a human invention and it's a man-made invention and we weren't designed to really be up at night, but of course a lot of us are because we've got lighting, <laughs> but that's what we were designed to do. And if you fall far from that kind of recommendation, then you are heading for sort of some sleep problems. There are lots of people with chronic sleep problems. Mm -hmm. One of my big things at the moment is treating people with Alzheimer's disease. And I look at their sort of sleep history and some of them have had, you know, 20, 30 years of disturbed, interrupted, poor quality sleep, working late, working very, very stressful lives. And that's probably the single biggest risk factor for that particular person. So sleep is as important as everything else. It gets neglected. Nobody talks about it, but it's massively important. And it's not just the hours in bed. It's the quality of the sleep that you have as well. So if people are drinking a lot of caffeine or taking alcohol, sweeteners, you know, stimulants. They're stressed. They're using their screens and their devices and their computers right late at night. Their quality of sleep is probably going to be quite poor. They're not going to be hitting the deep sleep that they need in order to restore and regenerate um, in order to function optimally. So sleep, massively important. I fall short. I've been a doctor, so I, you know, I've been used to working silly hours and shift work and, and yeah. what have you. Uh, but I do know that that's what I have to try and achieve if I want to be you know, working at the highest level. You're also a, an emergency specialist as well or a consultant. So yeah. you do work on different types of hours and all that kind of stuff. And there, there's people who's living in certain time zones like in my time zone, it's dark a lot of time. So if I'm supposed to go to sleep when it's dark, I'm sleeping 12 hours. <laughs> sure. So how, I mean, do you, that's... how do you maximize that, that little amount of sleep that people can get so you do get good quality sleep? Okay, so there are some things that slide outside of control. So if you know you've got a thing with the lighting where you are, you can't solve that. But if, at least if you aim to be in bed at around 10 o'clock, that is the optimum time. It's not just a light thing. It's actually your body runs on a circadian clock. Your cells know what time it is. And they are expecting or want to be sleeping around 10 o'clock for around somewhere between seven and nine hours. So the sweet spot is probably eight hours. Seven, seven to nine is the range. If you fall far short of that, or you know, you go overboard and have 10 or 11 hours sleep, it's actually too much sleep is not a good thing either. So that's the quantity, but then it is the quality as well. And so trying to make sure that you know what you're doing in the evening is going to set you up for a good night's sleep. So, you know, the couple of hours before bedtime, you shouldn't be doing 
you know, numbers and accounts and looking at screens and dealing with emails and stresses and things that worry you or watching CNN, which I always <laughs> say stands for constant negative news, because mm-hmm. you're facing you're filling your mind with a lot of negative stuff. And, you know, the first few hours of your sleep, your brain is trying to unpack that. And so if you've got a lot of heavy duty stuff that you're trying to process, it's actually going to inhibit the quality of your sleep when you put your head on the pillow. Mm-hmm. So the sleep hygiene is actually as important as what you're doing when you go to bed. Yeah, so a wind down period in the evening is really, really helpful. Maybe some bit of meditation, just a bit of me time, just to kind of chill out, zone out from the world and everything that you're doing in the day. Trying to avoid caffeine, trying to avoid alcohol where possible, um, just because those things we know interfere with sleep. Mm-hmm. Now, um, listen, listening to music is actually a really good thing to be doing in the evening. Mm-hmm. Awesome. So everybody needs to have that uh, good night's sleep and have that good night music going to bed. <laughs> well, yeah, otherwise, I mean, basically, I mean, how, for how well can you function if you've not slept well and you're trying to work at the highest level and you feel exhausted and tired and depleted and your energy dips in the middle of the day? I and mean, that's not good for an entrepreneur. Entrepreneurs need to be firing on all four cylinders, you know, as much of the day as they can. And so the sleep thing is part and parcel of the insurance policy for making that happen. So when you wake up in the morning, what's the first thing you do? How do you wake up driven to, to do the stuff that you do? Um, well, you know, sleep is part, part of that. And I think one of my things is spending a little bit of time the evening before just mapping out the following day, just mm-hmm. to have it kind of clear in your head what you're setting yourself up for. So a bit of goal focused work just to make sure the following day is going to work. So you get up, you know where you're going, you know what you're doing, and you're kind of driven and, and ready, to, ready to kind of to crack on. And if you had a good night's sleep, then waking up is fairly straightforward. Yeah. And most people don't like the morning because they haven't slept very well. But you know, those days when you sleep really, really well and it, you wake up feeling bang and you're ready to go, that's what you want to be doing all the time. Mm-hmm. And some of these things I'm mentioning are things that you can do to fix that. Mm-hmm. Now, in this day and age, there's so many, so much information out there, so many, mm-hmm. so many experts, so many professionals. And how, how does one go and get the right information? Like you mentioned before, listening to the news is always negative stuff. And it's uh, especially when you're online and all kinds of stuff, they, they have certain headings there just so that you will click on it, uh, just so that you will listen to them. But the information they pass on may or may not be advantageous or beneficial to everybody. Uh, so how does, how does one find the right people to get the right direction for their health? That's a really hard one because, like you said, there are so many. There are so many people out there. There's so much information out there. We've got Doctor Google, which is probably the most unreliable doctor there is on the planet. <laughs> um, and you know, a lot of my patients have already been to Google before they come to me. And there's all sorts of misinformation out there. And I spend quite a lot of my time just trying to kind of set the record straight and say, actually, no, Google is not an authoritative source. It's not regulated. There's a lot of conflicting information. Sometimes just watching. Um, some t- a lot of practitioners put videos out onto YouTube and actually just listening to them can give you a sense of the cut of their jib. You know, in other words, their kind of ethos, their way of being, their approach to things can be really helpful rather than things that are just read. Personal recommendations is always good. Somebody who's been had the experience of somebody who you're going to see is really, really helpful because you're getting, a, in a sense, a testimonial or a bit of a bit of information. But it's a bit of a minefield. Um, so the work I do in functional medicine, I'm on a sort of database for the Institute of Functional Medicine. So if you're looking for a functional medicine person, that's a really good database to go to because everybody there, their credentials have been checked. They've been through a qualification process. So people with credentials, I think, is quite a helpful way of um, choosing somebody in the health field. And, and word of mouth recommendations, I think, are probably my two top things. Uh, when it comes to holistic uh, solutions, 
there's lots of people who goes, well, I don't believe in that, or I don't think that works. What are some of the, the major myths that people have in their mind that you could debunk right now? Um, I think, for instance, in, in medicine and in the doctoring world, I mean, many doctors, if I look at our medical education, most doctors don't get much education in nutrition. I mean, you'd think it's a really, really important thing, but actually it probably gets about three hours of airtime in a medical curriculum of six years. So most doctors have no real understanding of nutrition. And I'm not knocking my colleagues, it's just a reality. So because they don't have that knowledge and understanding, they don't really appreciate the value and importance of nutrition in dealing with chronic disease. So I think that will be my first one. And you know, a lot of doctors will say, just eat what you like. They'll give you the little white pills for the thing they're trying to treat and tell, go, tell you to go eat what you like. Well, as far as I'm concerned, food is medicine. And there's a gold quote by Hippocrates, let food be thy medicine and medicine be thy food. And I really do um, espout that. I think it's absolutely true. And I try and f- the work that I do in this field, I'm really trying to fix diet first, food first, mm-hmm. and then everything else comes secondary to that. And so I think that is really important. Um, I'm a medical herbalist as well. So I use botanicals quite a lot. And another myth is, oh, herbal medicine doesn't work. Well, let's be honest. Most of the drugs that we use in the conventional medical world have been derived from plants. So all I'm doing is using them in their most natural form you know, before somebody's extracted one chemical out of them and put them into a little, little white tablet. So herbal medicine really does work. And it's the basis for most of the things we use. If you think about things like aspirin, which has come from willow bark, um, senna, which is a laxative, which is still commonly used, is a, is a botanical medicine. Um, digoxin, which is a heart drug, has come from digitalis. So a lot of conventional drugs have still got the, you know, the, the, the history where they came from very clearly stamped to plants. So those are my two, two big myths. Whole medicine works because it's got the chemicals in that drugs are derived from. And food is absolutely everything as far as I'm concerned. Now, something else that you are really focused on is uh, I have to... I have to look at the word or also say it wrong. Photobiomodulation, okay. right? uh, red light therapy. So uh, tell us more about that and why is that something that people should start really considering for their, uh, for their well-being? So I came across this a few years ago. I was at a trade show for, for a medical conference and I was rather intrigued by this massive machine which was spouting out red light. And I, I was absolutely fascinated. So I had to try, try of it. And just from a pure kind of wellness and general well-being point of view, I felt absolutely amazing. And I thought, okay, well, is there anything this medically? And it turns out that red light therapy can treat a whole range of medical problems. So people with chronic fatigue, Alzheimer's, it's very good for wound healing, um, injury repair. And in fact, some of the Olympic teams actually bought these machines for their athletes to give them a legal advantage between heats because it's very good at um, helping to restore um, torn muscle and just of general sporting injuries. We're also finding that it's very helpful for long COVID, which is really topical at the moment because a lot of people with long COVID are completely depleted. And the way it works, it targets the things in your cells which produce energy head on. So the things in the cells called mitochondria, they absorb these wavelengths of red light and it kind of gives them a kind of recharge. So I found it's I, I'm completely fascinated. I came back to the UK and I was on a mission. I thought we've got to get this over here because this could help so many people. Mm. And if you haven't got anything wrong with you specifically medically, it makes you feel better, it gives you an energy boost, improves your mood and improves your sleep. So it's a kind of a bit of a panacea, but it's completely safe and with no side effects and it's all good. So I'm really pleased to have been able to set that up in the UK and get that going to really help and benefit as many of my patients with some of these problems, but also just for a feel good factor. Mm. Is that something that people could just try out once or twice and see how they, they feel right after kind of thing? Is it, are the effects that 
instant? Yeah, I mean, we always give people a free trial because it's a, from our point of view, if you come and try it, most people are going to feel something after the first treatment, mm -hmm. e either straight away or they'll notice the following morning. Oh, my God, I slept so well last night. So it's something <laughs> you, you really notice some benefits from really quite quickly. Um, but we are getting some really good results from some of the patients we're putting through. And it's just really satisfying because it's just so easy. It feels nice. It's a nice treatment. Mm. Um, as you mentioned before, uh, the whole COVID stuff right now is one of the hot topics. Everybody's talking about it. Um, but I find that a lot of people are really focusing on the aftermath about what to do after you catch it or how do we, everything's just a kind of like a band-aid solution. We're not looking at the overall immune system. We're not looking all on the overall uh, healthiness of a person to prevent actually catching it. And that kind of goes with all diseases. Uh, you talked about the, the, the diet, how important that is, how important sleep is. So aside from those two things, are there anything else that people should start putting into their daily habits so that they could prevent themselves from being susceptible to COVID or other diseases? Sure. So, I mean, one of the things about COVID is if you've got a weakened immune system, then you're going to be more susceptible to it and its effects. So anything we can do to bolster the immune system is going to be really where it's at at the moment. So some of the things that I've already talked about are just as relevant as before. So having a really good diet. So you're giving yourself all the base nutrients you need to support your immune system and build the cells that make the immune system work is really important. Um, vitamin D really is where it's at at the moment. We know that people who are vitamin D deficient who have got suboptimal levels are much more susceptible to catching COVID um, and some of the sort of more unpleasant effects of it. So I think vitamin D as a supplement, if you don't live in a sunny place, or actually even if you do, I think vitamin D is going to be a really important supplement going forward. Um, you know, unless you've got, unless you're in a really sunny climate 12 months of the year and you're exposing your body to a decent amount of sunshine every day, most people are probably not going to get the vitamin D they need to support their immune system. Um, zinc is a really important trace mineral for immunity. And the reason I mention it is because most, um, most vegetables, even if you're eating really good quality vegetables that are organic, are probably still zinc depleted because the soil in so many countries is massively ransacked by poor quality farming practices. So a lot of people are zinc deficient and zinc is a really important mineral for the immune system. And then finally, if we're just going for my top three, vitamin C, everybody knows about vitamin C, but having a really good slug of vitamin C, particularly through the winter months can be really helpful for bolstering immunity. Mm -hmm. So I think those, those are my kind of three nutrient sort of extras. And then everything else I've talked about in terms of sleep and exercise and good diet are just as important as before, if not more important. Mm -hmm. um, so like I said, I see you a lot at uh, business conferences and networking events. What are some of the major business takeaways that you're able to apply to your practice that gave you the advantage over other uh, practices? So, I mean, you've seen me at these events and one of the things is networking. I mean, I've met some really, really interesting people over the years. And I think, you know, nurturing those relationships is incredibly important. I can't do any of the things that I do on my own. I do need other people involved. I need other people for advice, to help, to partner with. And so I think that's one of the things I've really picked up on. And no, no man is an island. And all the things that I do, and I do a lot of different things, I've got different people involved. But I don't just turn up at an event, meet somebody and expect something to happen overnight. Some of these things have taken years to develop. Mm -hmm. So the, the red light project, I'm working with somebody that I met probably four years ago. And we only came up with that a year ago. But it's just because we nurtured those, those relationships. And there came a time when we found, yeah, this is the time to do something. So I think the networking, the relationships is incredibly important. Mm -hmm. um, sorry, go ahead. Sorry, I was going to say, was that something that you've always kind of had in mind? 
where if you want to come ahead of other uh, other physicians, you had to do something different because not all doctors do what you do. No, most people, most people, certainly in this country, are working in the health service, and they do that from the moment they qualify for medical school to the day they retire. Mm-hmm. I, I just want to do other things. I've just got, I've got an insatiable curiosity, and I'm an eternal student. I'm always learning and exploring and and sort of working on new things because I just find it fascinating. And it just so happens that I've been able to turn them into kind of business opportunities and um, been able to monetize them. But I'm I'm a bit of a rare breed. But um, you know, by by meeting people and not just not just doctors, but actually business people, entrepreneurs, it just helps to expand the mind and helps to feed that curiosity that I have mm-hmm. to, to make this stuff work and stick and to meet people that I can actually work with. You know, there'll probably be people that I know now that will come up with something in a couple of years' time and turn it into something. Mm-hmm. And I think you know that whole networking thing has been incredibly important. Um, I mean, my other thing is that, you know, they don't teach you business at medical school. And I've had to learn everything I know about business from doing these kind of things and from coaching that you're you know, very much into as well. But also from these business events, just talking to other business people and find out how they work and how they tick and how they make their businesses work. And I learn things from those people that I can translate into what I do. Mm-hmm. So aside from the networking aspect, uh, what would you say is one of the most the largest downfall for some other physicians when that that doesn't allow their business to grow. Did you say physician? Sorry, because the line. Yeah, like other doctors, other practices. I think it's because, you know, they have a very solid medical training. And certainly when I was at medical school, it's all about learning the medicine. Um, they don't teach you business. And I think doctors have got this bit of a hang up about money. And because certainly in the end, certainly in the UK, the, the health system is essentially free. Well, it's free at the point of delivery. So patients go and then they, they basically have free health care. Now they pay for it in their taxes, but they don't receive a bill for their treatment. Because doctors don't really see any money passing hands, they don't really understand that it is a business. And if they try and go into that themselves, they've got some hang-ups about money and just they don't really think in the same business way. And I think that's one of my big tips for doctors doing this. They've really got to understand business, get rid of hang-ups about money, to value their time and value what they do, um, because otherwise people don't appreciate free. Mm-hmm. And I think doctors are very good at undervaluing what they do, but just because they don't have that business mindset. And also because they also really, really want to help other people. Yeah, exactly. So there's, so, and that's great. And that's a really nice thing. But I think they've also got, to, if you're going to do this work, you've got to make it pay. You've got to you know, pay yourself for what you do. Mm-hmm. Um, you can't be working for free. Mm-hmm. Now, when it comes to uh, looking at new developments and new, uh, new types of medicine, new types of mm-hmm. uh, what do you call it, methods and procedures, there's always that challenge of trying that new thing. There's always that risk of what happens if this doesn't work or if it does work and all that kind of stuff. So how do you, what goes through your head before uh, when you're looking at a challenge and then to overcome it? So if we talk about sort of new, new, new um, inventions or new things happening in medicine, I think the, the, the best way is to try them out, but keep to scale it low, to try it out on yourself, to not spend huge amounts of money, time and energy in something which is not going to go anywhere. You've really got to suck it and see. So all the things I do, I've kind of tried myself, put myself through them, and I, I call myself the world's best lab rat. I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm my own lab rat. I try everything myself. I do a lot of the tests that I do on patients myself. Um, I put myself through all sorts of stuff just to kind of get a sense of things. But I don't take huge risks. I try and keep it small. And if it doesn't work, I can park it, and I've not lost time, energy, and money in so doing. Mm-hmm. Is, there, is there a story that you can share where 
something that you tested on yourself did not go according to plan? Um, I've been, to be honest with you, I've been quite lucky. I mean, most of the things <laughs> I get interested in are usually things that turn out to be okay. I think I'm quite intuitive. And if I don't think something is worth a go, then I'm just going to leave it and park it. I don't think I've done anything horribly disastrous. Um, actually, I did, I did, one of the things I've done, I've actually, I'm actually a trained osteopath as well, mm-hmm. um, which was great. It's been a very useful training. But I think for me, um, I realized I was doing too many things. And whilst the training and the experience I had from doing that was helpful and to get a real understanding of people's mechanics, I realized I couldn't maintain that along with everything else that I tried to do. So I actually parked it in the end and I don't practice it anymore. Um, And I I think my feeling was that there's plenty of good osteopaths around where I need to focus is in the functional medicine because there aren't many people doing that. Mm -hmm. And I think that was a really good decision with, with the benefit of hindsight. Because otherwise you dilute, if you do too many things, you can dilute every single one of them. Right. And you can be a jack of all trades, but not a master of one. And I think it's really important to be a master of something. Somebody where, you know, somebody who people come to because you know your stuff in a particular field rather than just kind of very blanket knowledge about everything. Now, something so, else, something else that you're very focused on as well is the Alzheimer's and dementia. Mm-hmm. Um, you're a uh, practicing position in that as well and you've done a lot of great things tell us more about that development and how other people can kind of benefit from from what you're what you're doing so that was not something I sort of intended to do it kind of just turned up really so I went to a very interesting seminar um, on Alzheimer's by this the chap who's developed this protocol called the Bredesen protocol and it's basically a very holistic way of treating Alzheimer's disease. And I say treating because we have actually been shown to reverse the process. So we don't use the word cure, but we can reverse Alzheimer's. And it's just really good functional medicine. So all the stuff I was talking about earlier in terms of diet and lifestyle and sorting out sleep and making sure people are doing the right kind of exercise and reducing stress and reducing the toxic load that people are exposed to. If you do all those things in a really targeted and scientific way, we can actually reverse the disease process, which is fantastic because it's a horrible, debilitating, depressing disease. And, you know, families watch their relatives go down this mental decline as they get more elderly. So to be able to do something about that is fascinating. So it's basically good quality functional medicine involves lots and lots of testing. And we try and optimize all the things that are abnormal and in a way to try and turn the disease around. And we're doing it. Mm-hmm. that's just great because everybody says Alzheimer's is a terminal disease. Well, it isn't. It's very, it's now very, very treatable using the kind of approaches that, um, that I use. So is there anything like, is there anything that people can go, okay, these are the first signs of it that they should start coming to you? Or um, is there a certain age that people should start coming to you before it actually becomes a sign? So one of my big things is prevention is better than cure. So, mm-hmm. you know, let's not wait for this to strike and actually start doing things now. So I keep going on about diet and lifestyle and everything else, but we should all be trying to do that now to prevent these diseases from even happening. Because if you look at people who have things like Alzheimer's disease and cognitive decline, you can spot the very beginnings of this many, many years before the symptoms came on. They've got car crash when it comes to sleep. They're eating a really awful diet. They don't exercise. They're stressed out to the hilt. Uh, They're living in a hell hole. and if you put all these things together, it's actually a recipe for developing some of these chronic diseases. I mean, Alzheimer's is just one example, but you could talk, you could say exactly the same thing about things like diabetes and heart disease and cancer and everything else. So actually the time to do something about your health is now. Mm-hmm. And it's about looking after your health now and working in a preventative sort of frame of mind rather than waiting for something to bite. 
And so that's my big takeaway. Start looking after yourself right away. Don't leave it. But if you know, if you have got somebody where you're seeing that those very, very first signs, well, the sooner you can do something about it, the better. Because I do see people that you know, they've had the inklings that their relative is having a cognitive problem and they just wait for it to get bad before they present. And that's not the way forward. We've got a much better chance of reversing these kind of things if we can see them at the earliest opportunity. Mm-hmm. Now, I got one more final formal question for you. Um, that is, if you had the world stage and you have one message to share to the entire world and everybody's going to remember Dr. Andrew Greenland for this one message, what would that be? Wow. Okay. Um, it might be something I've already said, so I apologize if it's not very original, but I think it's going to have to be let food be thy medicine and medicine be thy food. That's my favorite Hippocrates quote because um, it really sings to what I speak to and what I believe. So I'm sorry it's a bit of a cliche, but um, that's, that's where it's at. Hey, it works and it fits and it's good words to live by, right? Um, I got five more quick questions. Give me the first yeah, thing sure. that comes to mind. Okay. Uh, first question is you're stranded on a desert island. And I know you're a health nut, but okay. what is uh-huh. that one food that you don't mind eating for the rest of your life? No consequence. Gosh, I mean, the thought of having one food, only one food the rest of my life is a difficult one because I know I would get bored. But, um, oh, God, let's, let's just let's be really, really pure. Let's say broccoli. Oh, wow. <laughs> Do you know what? I've, I've done all these years of functional medicine and I've done so much training, but I think the overall take-home message from all the training I've done is eat more broccoli. <laughs> wow. So I'm going to practice what I preach and say broccoli. Awesome. Um, do you have a hidden talent that not many people know that you're willing to perform? Um, I have got a hidden talent, but I'm not sure how good I am at it now. I've actually got a black belt in martial arts. Oh, wow. But I, I, ha- I stopped training a couple of years ago, but um, I got to black belt and I was, that, was, that was an achievement. But I probably, no, probably nobody knows about that. So I'd have to say that's my hidden talent. <laughs> so you could hurt them and heal them. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> um, Hollywood calls and says that they're going to do a biopic of you. Who would you cast as your best friend? Anybody that you, that you can. Who does cast my best friend? Well, in the in the um, showbiz arena. Pardon? I'm sorry. Who who would I cast as my best friend from chosen from? So any celebrity to play celebrity. your best friend in your biopic. Um. Oh my god. I mean, I, I've just come up with a name. I, you may not know this guy in the in in uh, Canada, but um, this guy here called Stephen Fry. Mm-hmm. who um, I, is one of my heroes because he's, he's an intellectual Cambridge graduate. He's somebody who's always made me laugh. He's the most funny person I know. So I don't know if that means anything to your um, listeners, but that's somebody that um, I really highly rate. Somebody who really made, has made me laugh for many, many years. So Stephen shows up at your door and uh-huh. says he's going to want to get to know you a little bit more. Let's have uh-huh. dinner. But he goes, okay. I want you to cook for me. Okay. So what is that special dish that you're going to use to surprise him or wow him with? Well, there's two ways I could do this. I could do something that's um, really kind of um, you know, flashy or showy, or I could practice what I preach and cook a healthy meal. <laughs> so that, that's my dilemma. But um, something I've learned to do over the lockdown is to cook roasts. So to, to roast meat really, really well. So I suppose it would have to be a roast, maybe awesome. roast beef, cooked really well, you know, really good quality, <clears throat> organic pasture-fed beef with some horseradish sauce. Some roasted sweet potatoes and lots of vegetables. There and, you go. There's a couple of broccoli around it. <laughs> and lots of broccoli. Oh, oh yeah. Around. Well, that, that comes in the vegetables. So plenty of vegetables. <laughs> so I kill two birds with one stone. It's it's a nice meal, but it's also lots of vegetables to go with it. Awesome. And my last one is what is success like? But give me a number between one to five. Um, three. One to four, sorry. 
Okay, three. One, two, three. So how is success like an apple martini? How is success like an apple martini? Um, oh, gosh. Uh, it's sharp and it's zingy. <laughs> <laughs> That's the best I can come up with. <laughs> it's all good. Well, thank you very much for your time and your uh, your advice and all your stories. Uh, what's the best way to reach out to you to find out more about what you do or if anybody wants to uh, seek your consultation? Sure. So um, I'm not sure if I put give you the email links, but it's um, Dr. Dr. Underscore Andrew mm-hmm. at greenland-medical.com. Bit of a mouthful. So Dr. Underscore Andrew at greenland-medical.com. Awesome. Um, I'm on social uh, social media as well, so you can search me at social, social media, Instagram, Facebook, the usual mm-hmm. kind of channels. Great. And uh, any last words from you? Um, be healthy. You want to be a um, top entrepreneur, you've got to be healthy. Look after yourself. It's, um, it's all part of, the, part of the package. Great. Thank you very much again for your time and uh, for an amazing interview. I had a lot of fun. I learned a lot too, so I'm going to have to start looking at my sleeping and my Uh, my diet as well. So uh, everybody else, make sure you do that. Uh, He is Dr. Andrew Greenland. My name is Fong Chuan. Until next time, today is the day to lock your peak potential. We'll see you later. Thank you.